You are listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with DJ Evil Dave and Starfleet International Lieutenant Commander Brady Jacoba. Hello listeners, a bit of some background noise, possibly, depending on how much I can edit out, but it is late on a Sunday, and I'm recording this as I have the opportunity, and I didn't feel like doing much of anything else. It's uh, in the hundreds here in northern Utah, so I have the air conditioner going. So it might make the sound quality a little chunky once I adjust for noise reduction. Always seems to add some kind of weird digital hokery-pokery to my voice when I do a little sound manipulation. There's the cat meowing. If you are new to the podcast, I'm not sure why you might be, but if you are, we're... The Dark Corner Podcast, where we look at pop culture from a subcultural perspective. I am a self-confessed goth, an elder goth, because I've been a goth since the 80s, and I'm now 50 years old, so it's been a while. We do some movie and TV reviews, sometimes talk about other things like live shows, though during COVID that's a little trickier. And we talk about a main topic, and lately it's been about tarot cards. Going a deep dive into each of the tarot cards in turn, and that's what I'm doing today. I'm going to be talking about the 18th card in the tarot, and that is the moon, a card I have a particular connection with. And we'll talk about a few other things as well. Sometimes I get my lovely wife Brandy on to discuss things. We have an idea for a future show, but when she's available, that uh, can always change. She's a busy Star Trek podcaster with shows about Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Voyager, sometimes, like she guests on the Janeway And just a general Star Trek discussion show on YouTube called The Unready Room. And she also has a Deep Space Nine podcast called The Vedic Assembly. So she gets around and she'll guest on other shows as well. So uh, getting her on can be tricky, especially on a Sunday, which is her relaxed day. And yesterday was a busy day for her, so I wasn't able to get her on then either. So recording as the opportunity presents itself. A little housekeeping regarding the dark corner is on feed burner we reached our limit on file size so i'm having to delete previous episodes i started by deleting a few of the first episodes of this run of the podcast about seven years ago i think we started the dark corner i think it was 2015 and so i deleted a few of the first episodes and then went in deleted 
a lot of our improv shows, so I don't think any of those are remaining. And I deleted our reports from FanX because, well, the news was very limited to right then and right there. I'll probably keep anything related to the tarot and a few other really great episodes like our discussion on Return to Oz or our commentary to Carnival of Souls. Fun shows like that. I'll try to keep as long as I can. Speaking of Star Trek, we watched all of Strange New Worlds and very much enjoyed it. I think it's the strongest first season of any series of Star Trek. And it seems to be pretty much universally loved, except for, you know, a few outliers. Has a 98% fresh Rotten Tomato score, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, we just recently watched the season finale, and it really ties into the original series quite well. For some TOS fans, be interesting to connect the parallels between episodes. Strong cast, great story, good character development, even though they're going more for kind of a weekly show rather than this sort of long-form narrative. There's little ties in between, but most of them are standalone episodes, so going back to kind of the classic way of filming television shows. Anson Mount as Captain Pike doing a fantastic job. And bringing some nuance to the characters, such as his interest in cooking. Been talking a little bit about Elliot Page's performance in The Umbrella Academy. Still need to go back and catch up on newer episodes. But it's interesting that uh, we have this whole fallout of Jordan Peterson getting kicked off Twitter for dead naming Elliot Page. And I saw someone on Twitter bring up the point that it seems like there's this, I don't know, this kind of white male privilege in regards to sexuality and that if you're perceived as an attractive woman, that if you transition to a trans mask individual, somehow you were robbed of something, whatever that is. And this claim of possession of the female form by certain male individuals is troublesome. It's led to where we are now with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. This idea that somehow men own women as property, if not actual, you know, physical property, then like intellectual property for their disposal pertaining to the male gaze. And you get that even with contemporary Star Trek. There seems to be this lashing out against the portrayal of women in Star Trek that used to be with Star Trek Enterprise or Voyager, this sexualizing of the female form. And you got that a little bit with The Next Generation 2 of presenting the female cast in a more sexual way. I mean, Seven of Nine being a very obvious representation of that. Though Jerry Ryan proved to be a talented actor and overcame that to become something greater than what might have been originally intended by the producers. But yeah, this idea that somehow women are there for the male consumption and not to be 
entities unto themselves. So you get a little lashing out at contemporary Star Trek like Discovery with its portrayal of the female character. But <sighs> Jordan Peterson is a piece of work. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist and YouTube personality lecturer with these particularly strange theories about gender and sexuality. For instance, that masculinity is the source of order in the world and femininity is the source of chaos. With nothing historical or cultural or perceivable to warrant that thesis. So if you look at masculinity in the history of man's behavior throughout time, the sources of war and conflict and terror are usually at the hands of the male population. While if you look to culture and family, organizations, resistance groups, philosophies, often you'll find women at the center of them. So historically, it really seems to be counter as to what Jordan Peterson professes. But yeah, he was uh, kicked off of Twitter for refusing to apologize or take down a tweet in which he dead-named Elliot Page. And it's just peculiar that some people just can't accept change or other people living their authentic selves. There's just kind of a, a smug selfishness involved there. Caught up on Stranger Things... Disappointed to see some of the artists I like. One in particular that was kind of gatekeeping around the whole Kate Bush thing. As if how you consume music or how you come across music is valid or invalid. Like for some reason seeing as if for some reason encountering running up that hill on a television show means less than hearing it on some radio station at 2am or whatever, or having some friend loan you a CD. I'm of the opinion that whatever course gets you to the music you love is a valid one. As I've encountered music in various ways, often through compilations, sometimes through terrestrial radio back in the day, Sometimes by recommendation, sometimes pu by pure accident, and yes, sometimes by hearing a needle drop in a television show or a film. And if I like the music, it might draw me to that band. And then I'll purchase their music, possibly even attend a concert if I get that deep. And it seems kind of classist to invalidate... A person's musical taste simply by how they consume the music. We don't all live in Los Angeles or New York. We don't all have the same access, even though the internet's available to us. There are still the circle of friends that you have, and there's still those opportunities provided by where you live as to what you come in contact with. But yeah, being landlocked here in Utah... There's only certain things available to me. I don't really go to the goth clubs that are, you know, in Salt Lake or whatever. And a lot of how I 
find new music is through recommendations from friends. But yeah, every once in a while, you can find something that's been packaged by the music coordinator for whatever film or television. But, you know, it's a valid job. It's a job I'd kind of be interested in. Being able to select songs to fit a mood or theme regarding your TV show or movie. and Looking at... The Umbrella Academy, for instance, and how it uses music, or Doom Patrol. Oddly, Stargirl has really good music. So yeah, it's disappointing when people gatekeep access to music and kind of look down their nose at people for coming into contact with great music via commercial means. Saw one person refer to Kate Bush's running up that hill being converted into a jingle and it's not not quite that if you think about radio it's commercially packaged music there's advertising between the musical breaks there's what the dj should be playing or should not be playing there's requests and sometimes if you have a decent dj they'll find new music and introduce people to it being caretakers rather than gatekeepers you know being curators of offering presenting the music they find and present that to an audience but with gatekeeping there seems to be this kind of claim of ownership and you get that with star wars and star trek and other fandoms as well comic books is this idea that how you consume whatever interest you happen to have that your path to it is the only valid one and if others didn't go through the same experience to enjoy the thing that you enjoy that somehow it's lesser or if you validate the way they consume whatever media you both enjoy that that somehow damages your enjoyment it's very odd and goes back to that buddhist idea of attachment is that assigning your ego to the thing that you enjoy and that if you find others enjoy that thing as well that if they're not doing it the same way you are somehow that hurts you personally it's very odd so i'm quite disappointed in that experience and happy to see that a lot of my friends online are of the same opinion i am that whatever gets you to great music is a valid path and that if you go down that well and find even more music of that artist, you know, from that artist, all the better. I came into The Damned pretty late in life. I think it wasn't until the 90s that I was into The Damned. And only through one song off a compilation. And it wasn't even one of their usual kind of punky songs. It was their Jekyll and Hyde song. In some regard, unlike other releases by The Damned, and in some regard very much in theme, depending on the album. Yeah, whatever gets you to the music you love, fine. It got you there. I mean, that's... Seems very odd to criticize people by the way they come into contact with music. 
Oh, speaking of music and getting angry, I have a set list of angry songs on SoundCloud, a mix, continuous mix. All female-fronted bands, all female artists, women artists, ladies, just rocking out some angry, resentful, critical songs. So that's on my soundcloud page that's either the dark corner podcast or dj evil dave you can find it both ways on soundcloud and give that a listen it hasn't had that many listens yet and uh it's a pretty cool mix it's got some great bands on there some angry tunes if you're going for a run or working out or just need some cathartic release you know feel just this kind of pent-up anger and need a healthy way to release it uh, i'd suggest giving that a listen. Finally, kind of a weird thing, I just took this online test about autism, just curious, you know, about whether or not I was that neurodiverse, and I hit right at the far end of the borderline into strong likelihood, like strong likelihood was a 20 and borderline was a 19. This was I think a National Health Service in the UK had this online quiz, you know, to test for indicators of autism. And so a lot of it was about social anxiety and obsession, compulsion, some stuff about being able to pick up on social cues, which as far as I know, I'm not that bad at. I can usually read faces and moods pretty well. But the rest of it, even finding certain noises distracting, though I would imagine that's something everybody can experience is just any kind of chaotic noises or needing to be single-mindedly focused on what I'm doing and getting easily distracted from that, uh, being consumed by interests in rather, <laughs> to use a classical term, uh, monomaniacal sense just you know single-mindedly pursuing a certain thing that interests me just kind of how got into podcasting in the first place you know is to pursue these interests be able to discuss them at length as we are doing with the tarot something that piqued my interest and then i went into a very deep dive into and then to kind of spin from there into other arenas of astrology and that sort of thing, and divination, and symbology, the collective unconscious, the hero's journey, all that being linked to this thing called the tarot. So it's be interesting to see whether or not I am on that spectrum, because it would be validating in a way, because I can get flustered really easily, like possibly too easily over even the tiniest thing. Like if I'm holding... A couple of things in my hands and I need a hand free to do something. I'll kind of look around and start to panic looking for a place to set down something so I can free a hand. Just something that's not that big of a deal that becomes very intense. A borderline kind of panicky thing. Though at other times, like when we lost our luggage on our honeymoon, I wasn't panicking at all and it was weird. It's kind like I kind of shut off that access so it's a weird thing just unusual but uh, it would explain a lot i think i don't think i have that much 
else to discuss is news and reviews related material. So let's get into the dark track. This dark track is called The Tide Pulls From the Moon by William Fitzsimmons, a folk and indie musician whose preferred genre is in the acoustic singer-songwriter vein. Artist from Pennsylvania, though now based in Nashville. This comes off one of Network Records' promotional albums, just a collection of network artists that they release for free just to garner some interests in the musicians listed. So here is William Fitzsimmons with the song The Tide Pulls From The Moon. So like your father in the face and blood Terrified and cold In whispers Coming of a cleansing flood For
wasn't that lovely. A little bit of xylophone in there, apparently some banjo too. There is an official music video on YouTube that for the song. And lyrically complex. I mean, there's some dense lyrics to this and very poetic and something you can really use to contemplate the meaning of. Several references in there that apply to what we'll discuss in the moon. References to water, of course, you know, the tide in the moon having a connection. That line about if the killing hands are still human. There's a lot of depth here, and it has a melancholy feel that I really enjoy. It's like, if you're gonna write a song that's somewhat depressing, go all in. It's like with the Bare Naked Ladies and Should I Fall. Often I find they're more tongue-in-cheek depressive songs, more depressing, but if you go all in on this tale of a window washer looking at the lives of the office workers and wondering if they should make a trade and who would be worse off for that. I look straight in the boardroom A modern pharaoh's tomb I gladly swap places If they care to dive Hope you enjoy that. Yes, they're on network records. A Canadian label that also had Sarah McLaughlin and Severed Heads and uh, Skinny Puppy and quite a number of other artists back in the day. Hello, my name is Brandy Jackola. And I'm Suzanne Williamson. And we are Boldly Go. A Strange New Worlds podcast. Hey, Suzanne. Yes. How long have you been watching Star Trek? Which, which Star Trek history? It seems like forever. Since I was in the womb, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> same so yeah we were both born into trek indoctrinated into mm. trek there are things we have planned oh yes and they may <laughs> alter depending on whether we get any any information about release dates we don't know it'll be here eventually well we've gone on long enough so we will see you sometime fairly soon well we won't see you actually we'll hear you no we won't even hear you we will talk to you <laughs> we might hear them if they really like us yes Hey, Suzanne, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? In case you wanted to get in touch with me and tweet to me about anything, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is kjaneway8. And you can also find me on Twitter at brandywine12. That is B-R-A-N-D-I-W-I-N-E and the number 12. Okay, let's get into our discussion on the 18th card of the tarot, The Moon. But yes, if you look at the standard image of a tarot card for the moon, you will see that a full moon illuminates the night sky. It will often have a face in it that seems to be looking down and to the left field. A path leads between two towers that kind of frame the card on the sides. A pool of water sits at the center of the image with the towers rising out of it. A crab or a crayfish crawls from the pool onto the land. And a dog and a wolf sit on either side of the path and they both howl at the moon. 
the dog being on the left and the wolf being on the right. So what does this all mean? Well, the moon is the reflection of the sun, and the sun is truth. It goes back to Plato's analogy of the cave, of being confined to a cave where you're forced to watch shadow images presented on a wall. Basically, shadow puppets from some flame that are cast onto a wall, and that is your knowledge of reality. Until you eventually break those bonds, climb out of the cave, and the further up the cave, the further aware you are of truth, to the point in which you witness the sun itself, which illuminates everything. It is the source of truth. It's like how they say that sunlight is the best disinfectant, is that there's a transparency, there's an awareness, there's the experience of reality in its most real and true form. That is what the sun provides. So when that light of truth is reflected off the surface of the moon, it's a dimmer image. Uh, the moon is a rocky surface, the light of the sun is diffused, and so the moon doesn't shine quite like a mirror reflecting the energy of the sun in such an unfiltered manner. But yeah, it gets broken up, it gets diffused, it gets dissipated, it's a lesser truth. And so in that regard, the moon card of the tarot presents a time of illusion and half-truths. There's an uncertainty. When we previously looked at the star, there's a certain amount of certainty and hope and idealism there. Here, we're on shaky ground. It is a time of illusion and limited awareness, lies, deception, delusion, illusion. The path, like many paths represented in the tarot, suggests a transition, a movement, and usually in the direction of an improvement. So in the moon, we're talking a lot about the unconscious mind, or just consciousness in general, and going from a state of the subconscious into conscious awareness. So there's a path out of this scenario of illusion and delusion and false reality into an arena of higher consciousness that we'll find in the later card in the tarot, the sun. So the pull of water is the subconscious mind. Water in the tarot and in astrology and in symbolism in general often represents the unconscious mind or the subconscious. If you look at an iceberg, the surface of an iceberg is relatively small compared to what sits beneath it. And that's often represented by psychologists as the structure of the mind, that you have this part of your mind that you're aware of. That is your ego, your superego, that is your understanding, your conscious mind. And then there's all that lies beneath the surface of the water, which is your id, your subconscious, these intuitive things you're picking up on that you're not even aware of, the things you're perceiving in your peripheral vision that you don't really take note of, but they're still stored there in your mind. 
out of direct awareness, but somewhere deep beneath the surface. So water can also reflect your emotional state. So again, your, your id, your desires, your hopes and fears, and the manifestation of our feelings often appear in dreams of expressions of your unconscious mind while we're asleep and just synapses are firing randomly and our brain tries to make sense of what's going on. It's that opportunity for the unconscious mind to present itself. And so the moon card reflects a dream state as well. The crayfish or crab or other sea creature that's crawling from the water onto the land represents an unfolding of the conscious mind, of a moving away from the unconscious to consciousness, like an idea surfacing, or your own self-awareness, reflecting a possibility of moving away from this condition of uncertainty into the direction of certainty. Now our dog and our wolf it's like the meme of the two wolves inside you. One wants this, one wants that. The dog represents our tamed nature. It is our conscious self. It's our cultured, sophisticated, educated, socially acclimated self. The wolf is our untamed nature. That wild, unsophisticated, primal visceral, reptilian-minded kind of part of our personality, our, our dark half. And so both are presented here, representing the two sides, possibly our combating sides of our consciousness, you know, this, the id and the ego, both bang at the moon simultaneously. So the moon projects past fears into our present and our future. It's our trauma resurfacing and influencing our behavior in the moment. That what we experienced before shapes what we experience now. Even if the situation might be somehow different, think of were you like I was if you were bullied as a child and you hear some people laughing and talking quietly to themselves and kind of giggling. There can be this knee-jerk assumption that it's in reference to you, that they're making fun of you, that they're laughing about you. And that might not even be the case, but it is that past trauma resurfacing and shaping your perceptions in the moment. And it may be an untrue perception, just old wounds reopening. So our past trauma colors our perspective of the present world. So emotions that have been pushed down, memories that we push to the back of our mind, they resurface. And the moon appearing in a reading might suggest that, that it is a period when our past trauma has resurfaced in some way. And how we react to that trauma might influence how we react in the moment. It can influence our choices and behavior. We could regress somehow back into that period of time, becoming childlike in a way. We could overcompensate and swing the other way, uh, you know, cutting us ourselves off from the moment or departing, uh, protecting ourselves in some way, walling ourselves up from the experience. 
and our choice here may be subconscious. We might not even be aware of why we're reacting the way we are, though therapy could help with that by helping to resolve whatever trauma is influencing our current behavior. Mode card also suggests that nothing is as it seems. Paranoia, delusion, anxiety may prove unfounded. Things are uncertain. Your feet aren't planted firmly on the ground. The light of the sun, the truth, is somewhat obscured. You're only possibly receiving about half of the truth. And it's not a good time to act or to make choices because you're only half informed. And when you're half informed, you can make some pretty big assumptions. It could be suspecting your romantic partner of cheating on you, that you have only half the evidence available, and it could be through past experiences of prior harm that we fill in the gaps to write our own stories as to what's missing evidentially from our experience, and just assume the worst. And likewise, we could assume the better, that there may be indicators of abuse or assault that are somewhat hidden from us, and so if we're not aware of it, we overlook it. They say it is easier to be conned than to be convinced that you are conned, because we invest a certain amount of pride in ourselves, and there's an embarrassment, a shame in admitting to being duped. So on occasions we can even lie to ourselves that we may be subconsciously aware that we're being taken for a ride and overlook it or push it down or convince ourselves that that's not the case when it's all done in bad faith. So what is the solution here when you have only half the information available, if that? Well, it's to look deep into the subconscious for validation. Is what you're experiencing real? Explore those emotions. Try to find the source of why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And is that true or not? Right now may be a time to trust the heart over the mind. Now, weirdly, is a time to trust the heart over the mind. The mind can be lying to you. So, in a weird sense, get to go with your gut. Go with your emotions. Which is a weird thing for me to say. <laughs> Trust your feelings in a Ben Kenobi sort of way. Seek validation of what you're experiencing. Is it real? Do things feel right? What's the vibe? It's not the time for overthinking things. Don't get lost in processing it intellectually. It's time to delve deep into that reptilian primordial brain and work on instinct to find which ways up. Let intuition guide you. And as your mind explores your subconscious, it finds the path out and into that higher consciousness, just like that crayfish crawling out of the pool of water. And it leads you to better judgment. The moon offers a time to embrace the feminine. Uh, the tarot <laughs> can be quite gendered in a classical sense of its depictions of femininity and masculinity. 
But there's some nuance here, too, in that you can be a man who embraces the more feminine side or to be a woman and embrace the more masculine side or non-binary or anywhere in between. So insight and intuition. And according to some readers of the tarot, maybe a time to acclimate to the cycles of the moon since you're in such a amorphous, uncertain, illusory time of things that the changes of the moon can offer some sort of natural path out. For instance, during a new moon, perhaps it's time to plant new concepts or initiate a plan, you know, to begin something, while on a full moon, maybe the time for celebration of your accomplishments. So in some, the moon can indicate poor choices, particularly relapse into past bad behavior. And so the moon is also connected to addiction, addictions of any kind, of drug addiction, alcoholism, sex addiction, pornography, possible self-harm, any sort of past bad behavior can resurface and be a call to relapse. I believe it's in the Osho Zen tarot that the moon represents past lives, that perhaps previous incarnations have experienced trauma as well, and if you believe in this kind of incarnation awareness sort of thing, that past lives shape our present life, that might be a time to explore those as well, to seek some course of action. Perhaps there are these patterns of repeated bad behavior that we have to seek to break in order to release us from this wheel of suffering. So the element that influences card is water. I think that's reflected in the pool at the center of the card, and it's many ties to emotionality, intuitions, the mind, especially the subconscious mind, and feelings. So I could see the moon relating a great deal to the cups suit that is also influenced by water. That deals a lot with our emotional state, particularly in regards to love and compassion. In astrology, the moon relates to Pisces. It's known for being gracious, emotionally aware, sympathetic, creative, imaginative, all meanings that we've already touched upon in the moon card of the tarot. Pisces is ruled by the planet Neptune, again tied into the theme of water and representing idealism, intuition, spirituality, Compassion, dreams, delusions. So what about numerology? Numerology. Numerology. A very hard word to pronounce. Numerology. It's the 18th card of the tarot. So if we split that up, we get a 1 and an 8. You add those together, you get 9. So we're looking at the hermit. We've talked about the hermit before. 9 is an interesting number in that if you times it by another single-digit integer. If you add the two separate numbers together, you get to 9 again. 9 times 2 is 18. 1 plus 8 is 9. 
9 times 3 is 27. 2 plus 7 is 9. 9 times 4 is 36. 3 plus 6 is 9. 9 times 5 is 45. 4 plus 5 is 9. And you get the idea. 9, in terms of numerology, refers to itself. It's very self-aware. Kind of reflects the higher consciousness that was addressed when describing the moon. The hermit holds a lamp illuminating the darkness. The hermit is the source of self-awareness, of this higher consciousness. So in a way, it's the end goal out of this experience of mystery and delusion and dreams and uncertainty, that the hermit is the one lighting the path out of this illusory experience. So in the suits, we have the Nine of Swords, which represents anxiety, worry, fear, depression, nightmares. So even with nightmares, we have that tie-in with the dreams. Nine of Cups, contentment, satisfaction, gratitude, answered prayers. Nine of Wands, resilience, courage, persistence, resolve. Also boundaries, you know, setting boundaries. Nine of Coins or Nine of Pentacles have abundance, luxury, self-sufficiency, financial independence. So in culture and in media, the moon is tied with the night. And the cycles of the moon reflect certain experiences like the full moon and its ties to lycanthropy of werewolves has been <laughs> well documented through fiction, the loop guru and werewolves and in television and books and film and video games. This idea that the moon influences our behavior and during the full moon that it could ignite or activate some primal trigger and change a human into a beast. You'd see that also with the term lunatic, which is a pretty out there idea that just looking at the moon could break someone's mind, especially anybody who is of a weak will, and was used to confine women to mental institutions and to, I guess, sanitariums, asylums, often used by husbands to get rid of their wives and perhaps obtain the wealth the woman would leave behind so they could pursue their other romantic interests. There are various myths of crimes and accidents related to a full moon. This could be more of confirmation bias that we just happen to notice when it's a full moon and connect behavior to that. So accidents and crimes that take place during a full moon are they statistically linked or not or are more crimes committed during a full moon because there's more light available for criminals to see what they're doing you would think it would be the opposite that perhaps during a new moon would be the time to go out at night and do nefarious deeds in the cloak of darkness just did a little google foo and it seems that the increase in car accidents during a full moon is only about 5% and seems to be relegated specifically to men. 
So I don't think 5% is that marked an increase. And it's interesting that it would fall so hard on gender lines. We have quite a fascination with the moon. There is its connection with the tides, which you could see how it would influence water, which is why the moon card of the tarot is so heavily impacted by the element of water. You have Diana, also known as Artemis, the goddess of the moon, the huntress, a symbol of virginity and of the unattainable woman. You have the rabbit in the moon, which is the Japanese version of our man in the moon. I think the Chinese also have a rabbit in the moon, if I'm not mistaken. Recently had the Moon Knight series, kind of a Egyptian god of the moon and the night and of enacting justice against those who have done wrong. What you think of Batman being a mostly nocturnal figure, of being a crime fighter that works mostly at night... It's very weird to see Batman during the day, though you do see it, it's it's still odd. It's like Superman's for daytime, Batman's for nighttime. It just kind of feels that way. It feels right. When talking about the tarot and its connection to the hero's journey and all that, I like to use Star Wars as an example because it's a story with which we're mostly all familiar. And the moon seems to me to reflect the dark side of the Force. A power that obscures and obfuscates and deludes and seduces. And I'm thinking particularly about the scene on Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back when Yoda is training Luke and Luke senses an area that is very strong with the dark side and goes venturing towards it. And of course Yoda warns him, to not bring his weapons, because whatever you bring there, you might expect will have some kind of poor reflection back to you. So, you know, taking your lightsaber with you. And just what Luke experiences there is Darth Vader appearing. He strikes Darth Vader down. The helmet splits open to reveal Luke's own face. And what does that mean? It's a half-truth. It's kind of a nightmare in a way as well. That Luke is connected to Darth Vader in some way, but that way isn't clear. Is it suggesting that if Luke continues down the dark side that that is his possible future of becoming like Darth Vader? Or is it addressing some unknown that Yoda knows, but Luke does not, that Darth Vader is his father? So yeah, the dark side I can see very much embodying the nature of the moon card of the tarot of its elusive nature that you can't address it intellectually logically you're in an area of deep symbology and psychology and the unconscious mind so after the moon we'll get to the sun eventually and i'm hoping to get brandy on there because she has a connection to that card, just as she has a connection to the Magician and the Wheel of Fortune. And of course, I'll have a music special for this episode as well. What's nice about the music specials is they're really easy to throw together and require not that much editing, so it shouldn't be too much of a concern getting that out to you sometime. 
it's a little tricky. It seems like our weekends are a bit wild at the moment. So it's uncertain whether or not I'll be able to get Brandy on in the foreseeable future. I would like to. We also have our anniversary coming up for episode 176. That'll be about, what, four episodes from here? So I haven't really decided what to do with that episode quite yet. Yeah, right now is our 13th year of podcasting, and I had considered hanging up the microphone when we hit year 13, but I'm still enjoying doing this, and there's a few of you out there still listening, so, you know, why not continue? I don't really have much else to say. I would like to shout out Ed. I just saw that he had recommended some artists to me on Twitter, so I'll have to give that a listen. But Ed is one of those who's not gatekeeping with the whole Stranger Things scenario. Because they had also played a Metallica song and there seems to be some gatekeeping popping up around that. Of how legitimate it is that you come across Metallica when they're one of the biggest metal bands in the world. Yeah, it's kind of odd that people get upset around how people find music. But we already addressed that. And I guess I'll leave it there and see if I can edit this and get it out in a timely manner or sometime during the middle of the week. But yes, uh, take care out there. Uh, I know it's weird. I know it's strange. I wish we could just skip all the burning the country down to the ground to just get to the fascism imploding upon itself, which is inevitable with ever fascism becomes a thing. It always self-destructs. I don't even know why people attempt it. Just the hubris and attraction to power. It's like moths to a flame. Anyhow, don't mean to bring it down at the end, but that's just kind of the mood these days. Which is a reminder, check out my uh, angry playlist on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, DJ Evil Dave. Alright, take care out there, and uh, goodbye! You have been listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with me, Brandy, and also David Jackola. Follow me on Twitter at BrandyWine12. Brandy is spelled with an I. Dave is at Dark Corner Cast. We have a group and a fan page on Facebook. Both are at the Dark Corner Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcasts Boldly Go, a Strange New Worlds podcast, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast, and What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. You can see me discuss Star Trek Live on the Unready Room and the Kurt Ratz Productions YouTube channel. Kurt Ratz is Star Trek spelled backwards. I host my own podcast, Headcanon, wherein I guide you through the mazes of my mind. The Dark Track was offered for free as a promotional item or submitted by the artist or artist representative. The opening track is Unbelievable, as covered by Batavia. The closing track is At Last the End, as covered by Cat Temper. All other music is used for illustrative purposes and no infringement of copyright is intended. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Dark Corner podcast on Anchor.fm. And thank you for allowing us the time to keep you in the dark.